You're listening to Apolitical Politics, where we discuss the ins and outs of Oregon politics without being political. I'm your host, Dwayne Stark. Today's episode is Revenue with special guest E. Warner Reschke, Oregon State Representative from House District 56 in Southern Oregon, Klamath County area. Uh, Hi, Warner. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks, Dwayne. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for being on. It's always a treasure to have different elected members on and sharing with the public their knowledge. And so before we jump into the specifics of revenue, will you share a little bit of your background and how did you end up in office? That's a great question. So uh, I was raised in Beaverton, Oregon back in the 70s and 80s, graduated from Sunset High School, went to Oregon State University, graduated there in the late 80s and went to work for Georgia Pacific in downtown Portland as a plywood trader. This is the exact same time as the spotted owl uh, thing was going on. So I had to uh, figure out whether I was going to try and survive in the wood products industry as the new guy or find a different uh, career path. And so after a while, I decided I would uh, join high tech and went to work for Tektronics, which was in the color printer industry. It wasn't their oscilloscope division, but color printers down in Wilsonville did that for about nine years. They got bought out by Xerox, did that for about a year, and uh, then went out on my own as a uh, web designer and email marketer. Did that for about 18 years. During that time, we moved the family back to Klamath County, where my wife is from. That's where I reside today. Um, Did the uh, uh, entrepreneurial uh, small business thing for about, uh, about 18 years, like I said. I joined the legislature at the very end of that realized I couldn't do both well, and so sold the business and have been doing the legislator gig for uh, six years now. Were you recruited to run, or did was that just something on your to-do list? How how'd you end up deciding that you wanted to travel to and from Salem and devote so much of your life to that? <laughs> that, that wasn't a selling point, no. Um, I'm 266 miles uh, from doorstep to doorstep, so it's a 532-mile round trip, which is 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 a lot of windshield time. Uh, I started out probably in 2010 as an adult getting more involved in politics with the Tea Party, and from there I got involved with the local Republican Party trying to fight back taxes, trying to help county commissioners and city councilors get elected, and then in 2016, I think my wife was tired of me yelling at the TV. She said, they can't hear you. So either go do something or you have to sit there quiet and listen to it. So I decided to do something and and decided to run for state representative. So now are you allowed to yell at the TV? That's a great question. I don't anymore because I realize that (laughs) they don't hear you. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. You've been in office, what, roughly six years now? Yeah, six years. Started session was in 2017, but was elected in November of 2016. Yeah. Okay. How long have you served on the Revenue Committee? Since 2018, so uh, five of those six years. All right. Great. So you have a hand, a handful of years of experience there. Will you explain to us, if someone is new to state budgeting and taxes and so forth, explain to us what revenue means from the lens of the state Oregon's state budget or a state budget context? Right. So so the, the, the revenue, I sit on both committees. I sit on the revenue, House Revenue Committee and the Joint Ways and Means Committee. So one is see, revenue is seeing the money come into 
state government and then ways and means of spending so it sees the money going out. So I could see it come in and go out and sometimes I cry at both. But uh, so, so just a, a perspective on revenue, the money coming into the state, where does all that money come from? Uh, about 24, 25% of it is what we call general fund lottery money. And so it either comes from the lottery or comes from personal income taxes or corporate income taxes the bulk of those being personal income taxes. About 33% of it is federal dollars. And so that is money that comes from the federal government in forms of grants or uh, matching programs. So if you spend a dollar on this program, the federal government says they'll, they'll give you 50 cents or a dollar or $2 to match that. And then the remainder, which is the bigger portion is about 40, 40, 42% is what we call other funds. And other funds are fees. Uh, road tax is probably a good example of that. So Oregonians pay 58 cents a gallon for gas tax. And 18 cents of that is pretty much a federal and the remainder, so 40 cents is state. That's considered an other fund because it's not a tax that the legislature can spend any way it wants. It's uh, constitutionally uh, written that that money has to be spent on roads. And so that's considered an other fund. So that's kind of the so, breakdown. It's kind of a three three slices of a pie. Uh, right now, uh, other funds is the, the biggest bulk of that pie, fees and other right. things like that. So you have taxes, corporate income, gas tax, you have lottery. As far as other funds, you know, the types of fees, that would be like my hunting license, correct? Hunting license, uh, your DMV fees, all, all the, all, anything, anything that is a fee, and it could be, you know, where those most of those fees get seen in bulk are at the business level. So you have a business license, and you might have to do uh, certain certain things for a business that requires you to pay a fee, and so that's all that adds up to those other funds. A lot of states do it differently in the sense of, yes. you know, Oregon is an income tax state. Some states have yes. both. Some states have, you know, sales tax and no income tax. What would you say the advantages or disadvantages or both of a income tax state like Oregon is? The advantage is when times are good, revenue to the state is great. But the converse of that is when times are tough, so when you're in a recession and people are struggling, probably needing government services more, that's when revenue to the state declines more so than if you were in a sales tax state. So sales tax is comparatively, it's more level. So in good times, you raise a little bit. In bad times, you go down a little bit as far as revenue. But uh, income tax, if you're an income tax state like Oregon is, then booms and busts basically with income taxes. So it's really important that the legislature is mindful of that, understands that. So when you have good times, you're socking away money, putting it away so that if a bad time comes, you can kind of maintain government at the same level without having to cut services really deeply. And I know I generally like these conversations to be time tested and, you know, uh, in a sense, eternal. COVID, you know, what did we see happen with Oregon's revenue? You know, was COVID a boom or a bust for Oregon? 
it, w- it was a big, big boom. Why? So, so there were there were a couple there were, well there were a couple of different packages that came through. There was Cares, and then there was Mini Cares, and then there was ARPA. You know, the first two under the Trump administration, the last one under the Biden administration, uh, all voted by Congress. Uh, let's see, mo- most of those ARPA funds you'll find in the. I mean, most of the, those dollars uh, came to states, and then states were able to spend them how they wanted to. I would have much preferred that that money, if it came into the states, was to actually bolster our healthcare system, because Oregon per capita is has the least amount of hospital beds per for for you know per capita in of all the states in the nation. So yeah, you know, not not a lot of money, unfortunately, was spent on that. A lot of money was spent on uh, projects, economic development, etc. I, I think part of that was to help stimulate the economy to get it out of the, you know, potential problems with the shutdowns and the slowdowns of the pandemic, which is all fine and good, but it just was, uh, there, there, weren't, there weren't enough strings attached to how that money was spent by states. So Oregon got a lot of revenue, a lot of one-time revenue that you could spend on building something or improving something. You, you weren't supposed to be able to increase your organizational size with an ongoing cost, but, uh, that, that's that's how it affected revenue. Uh, th- those packages affected revenue as Oregon got a lot of one-time money. So the COVID boom for Oregon's revenue budget is largely credited to federal dollars coming in as opposed to a change in the economy in Oregon. That's correct. The economy was doing well in Oregon. And I would say that with, uh, you know, the specific provisions of the CARES Act, which was like the PPP, uh, loan program that helped uh, employers keep people employed, which helped keep them paying state income taxes, which again in Oregon is critical. The, that part of the revenue kind of stayed about the same. So we didn't see a huge downturn that you might expect in a recession, especially uh, when you looked at the revenue curve, uh, uh, income curve of people, it kind of dipped dramatically, but it recovered just as quick. So uh, it was it was very odd. Uh, interesting times. Again, we got a lot of one-time money, and uh, I'm not sure that we necessarily spent it in the most wise of ways. In Oregon, if we want to change our, the amount of revenue, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's an increase or a decrease, how do we go about changing that? What are some ways that we can do that? Right. So it's interesting. When I first got on the revenue committee and they talked about, you know, increasing revenue, I had a business background. And so I thought, oh, that's great. That's good. We want to increase revenue to the state. But then I realized real quickly, I remembered, well, the more money you give to the state, the less money people have and the less money businesses have, because that's where the state gets its revenue is from people and businesses. So from my political standing and philosophy, I want people to have more money, not less. And I want to kind of limit the size and scope of government. So I'm always after trying to figure out what do we need, not what do we want as far as to run a government that serves the needs of Oregonians. Change all that. If you want to change uh, revenue and make it more, it takes uh, three-fifths of either chamber to do that. So if you want to change the tax rate, let's say, from 6% to 7%, uh, in a certain income strata, you would uh, you would need three fifths or sixty percent of the House, sixty percent of the Repub- uh, Senate, and then the governor's signature for that. Conversely, to lower rates, uh, if you wanted to uh, decrease the revenue, some would say I would say would 
it wouldn't decrease the revenue necessarily. It would just actually put more money in people's pockets and they'll invest and spend it better than the state can. But if you wanted to decrease rates, it just takes a simple majority in either chamber. Okay, so for the legislature to vote on a decrease, simple majority, it's yep. a three-fifths if they want to increase. But that's, that's as far as taxes. Is it different with yep. fees? No, fees can be raised. Uh, some fees can be raised at the agency level, but most of them have to go through the legislature. And I believe, I'm just trying to remember this, I, I don't think it requires a uh, a three-fifths majority, and it doesn't require a three-fifths majority, I don't think, for fees to be increased, just a simple majority in both chambers. And, and having spent nearly eight years in uh, Ways and Means spending that money, I would agree with you, just so you know. <laughs> uh, now, that, that's kind, you... kind of a loophole in the system, right? So uh, right. It's, it's, it's a way that the state can, quote, raise revenue without increasing taxes or meeting the tax raising burden of the legislature. Right. And so I would encourage people, always pay attention to fees, not just tax increases. However, I, I do want to highlight here, I'm going to just jump in with my own little opinion, is sure. fees aren't always bad. And oftentimes people, there are certain groups that ask for a fee increase because they want what comes with it. So, you know, maybe a nursing license. They they want the services of the nursing board and all that is given in that. And so they might come in and say, as a board, as a community, we want to increase this fee so that we can do X, Y, and Z. And so so fees, it's not just as simple as good or bad. It's a matter of pay attention and see what it's for and see who's asking for it and why and if, if that makes sense. Uh, that's just my take on fees. No, I, I think to, that's, that's good, yeah. Yeah. Back to a revenue-raising bill, though, uh, what's unique about that? The Oregon Constitution says a revenue-raising bill must start in the House of Representatives. Now, I've checked, and it doesn't need to necessarily start in the House Revenue Committee. It just needs to st – because the Constitution doesn't know what committees are, there are, et cetera. It just says it has to start in the chamber, the House chamber. And so if a senator wanted to raise taxes, they would need to contact a representative and have the representative introduce the bill in the House first before it went to the Senate and then on to the governor. But if it went the other way, then it's unconstitutional. It has to start in the House. I've always found that interesting, and I've never taken the time to, to do the research, and maybe you have. Do you know what the rationale for that is? I think it stems back from the from – the, uh, the federal government and the way it was formed because that's the rule in the federal government and the federal government's a little bit different because uh, initially uh, the house of representatives was the only place was the only chamber voted directly by the people uh, up until i think 1917 the u.s senate was actually people appointed by state legislatures so they wanted uh, the, since, since the House is uh, elected every two years and therefore has to be more responsive, I would argue, to the whims of the nation, and I'd say the whims of the state, I'm, I think I'm much more in tune with my constituents than, say, a senator often is because they've got four years. I have two years. I'm always on guard for the next election because it's just around the corner. I think that's the reason why they wanted to do that. They said, we want the legislators to have to be in tune with the people because every two years they're up for a job interview 
to be the ones to introduce a new tax. I've never really spent much time thinking about that. As a budget guy, I know that I personally am always waiting for the revenue forecast. What is the revenue forecast? When do we get it? And what sort of things do we see in it? So the revenue forecast is where the state economists come before the House Revenue Committee and the Senate Finance and Revenue Committee and tell us what they see in the crystal ball. First, they tell us what the revenue is, has been as of a few weeks prior to their presentation. Uh, they give that presentation about three to four times a year. They tell us where the revenue is at that point, and then they forecast what they think the revenue will be for the rest of uh, the budget cycle or the biennium. They also try to give us indicators like what's housing doing, what's employment like, uh, where's the economy struggling, where's the economy doing well, what's on the horizon nationally, et cetera. So um, th that's what the revenue forecast is. And from there, uh, budgeters uh, such as yourself and myself can then look at that and go, okay, well, look, we have an extra uh, $250 million to spend or save or whatever we decide to do with it. But we have more money than what we initially thought before we uh, craft a final budget for the next biennium. I always look forward to those. And even though I'm not on revenue, I, I watch for them because it gives us that snapshot in time. It's, you know, like going to your doctor for a checkup. It's like, yeah, everything's ticking the way it's supposed to be. Or, hey, you better pay attention to this. Or, wow, you really have been getting in shape. I like that snapshot in time and because our, our budget is all about how we anticipate money coming in so we can decide how to spend money. If a everyday citizen wanted more information on the state's revenue, where do they go? How do they find it out? Well, the uh, legislature, uh, well, there's the Department of Revenue, so you can go to their website and they keep a, a lot of information. There's probably more than enough information available for uh, general consumption, uh, kind of the accounting level. Uh, the legislature also has what's called the Legislative Revenue Office, or LRO, and it has a website on the Oregon legislature's website, kind of a mini website that keeps track of revenue as well and kind of distills all the stuff from the uh, the Department of Revenue uh, to more uh, discernible format, I would say. Someone can just Google Oregon legislature, go to capital offices, look for the legislative revenue, and that's a good starting point. That's a great way. Or you can just type in Oregon State Revenue and you'll see both the Department of Revenue and Legislative Revenue's websites. Perfect. Thank you. Any final thoughts that you want to impart to anybody listening to this? Yes, I, I guess my, my thought, th this is always my thought, is uh, we need people involved. And so uh, while revenue may not be your, uh, you know, your, your strong suit or it's boring like watching paint dry or something like that, I'm always encouraging find your passion and find what in state government is going on with that passion. Because we like to say, if you're not at the table, you're likely to be on the menu. And it's very important for you to be involved uh, in the things that you care about, whether that's education for your kids, whether that's uh, public safety in your neighborhood, whether that's the local economy or businesses, et cetera. Find those things that are of interest to you that directly impact you and get involved and that's the best way that, that our public and democracy will work. Thanks for listening. For more apolitical politics, check out apoliticalpolitics.org or dwaynestark.org.